Hello everyone, I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In our last message, we pointed out how distressed Paul was when he saw the people of Athens religiously giving themselves to idols. False religions form when people are convicted by the Spirit of God of their sins, of their lack of righteousness, and of their future judgment. While at the same time, these same spirit-convicted people run away from God. So they come up with answers for this conviction in false religions. Religions that present new models for sin, for human righteousness, and a way of dealing with judgment. This is in every religion. And as we see today, it is fully expressed in the latest religion of protest that's sweeping our nation. It is a religion. A false one. Every religion will have some idea of sin to be avoided or overcome, some idea of righteousness to be gained and realized and some strategy for doing it, and some idea of a consequence in the future to be avoided and a consequence to be pursued. And now their formulations and their strategies and the perceptions are wrong. It's a false religion. But the three points of concern that they're attempting to address are true. They are produced in them by the Holy Spirit, and they know it needs to be addressed, and you should too. It needs to be addressed, because there is sin. There is a call to righteousness, and there is a judgment coming because there is not righteousness, but there is sin. So, with that in mind, for a moment, with that framework, understanding that these are the underpinnings of all religion, just for a moment, consider the latest upheaval of protests that are rising up, particularly among the young generation in our land. If you've been reading articles for the last 10 years or so and written in Christian magazines and Christian blogs, the hand-wringing consideration is always, how are we to keep these young people who are departing from our churches? How can we get them back to return? What new presentation or what attempt at uh, authenticity can we put forward in order to make them come back to us? And by the way, if you're attempting to be authentic, you're inauthentic, right? But all these things to try to bring them back in and uh, not considering that they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they were of us, Paul, John says, they would not have gone out from us. That the real issue, need, is to change them in the heart with the heart of the gospel. But consider that in many cases, many of these same young people that have grown up in churches are now joining in the protests that are taking place on our streets. And what I want you to do is I want you to understand something as you see this happening. We cannot completely understand the nature of the complaint that's rising up from them. It's shifting all the time, but at least we can identify these three components. These protesters believe that there's an original sin in our nation that has not been properly addressed and is still bearing its poisonous fruit. And I'm not agreeing with the force of their complaint. I'm just describing it to you. They say there's a sin that's not been addressed and it's producing these terrible results. At the same time, they are vigorously attempting to absolve themselves of the sin through a series of dramatic actions which they believe are right and good. Their protest is in itself a prescribed action, some level, an attempt to absolve themselves of the sin, of disting themselves from the sin and getting away from it as far as they can so they can point at somebody else and say, there it is. This is our righteous act to remove ourselves from it. And with that, they've developed their own liturgy. We have to say all the right things. We have to all confess the same things. 
For example, we have to confess white privilege. We have to confess and acknowledge systemic racism. If, if we don't confess that we're guilty of these things, then we're complicit in it. We have to say things like um, black lives matter. We can't say all lives matter, and we certainly can't even say all black lives matter. And when we say black lives matter, we have to have their orthodoxy being put before us. We have to say the right thing because this is the righteous thing to say. We have to only mean those black lives that suffer violence from the hands of police. We have to be referring to, say, the 158 black men who, or black people who died at the hands of police in 2019. That's what we have to be referring to. We cannot refer to the black babies who are annually aborted at a larger rate than those that are born. We can't say that. That's just piling on. We can't be referring to the over 3,000 black lives that die at the hands of another black individual. We can't say that. The 158. That's what we have to speak to because that's the orthodoxy. That's the protest that has to be made. Now listen, I'm not saying this to get you riled up about that. What I'm trying to say is there's an orthodoxy here. There's a righteousness that's being prescribed. And by the way, when men prescribe their own righteousness, it's always exclusionary. It's always something they do that somebody else doesn't do. It always provides a pecking order and a position and a standing in order that they might stand aloof from what they think to be the sin and then point at others so that they can stand before the temple and raise their heads up like the Pharisees and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner who cannot say black lives matter. And it's a righteousness. It's a righteousness they're pursuing. It's a religion that they're engaging in. Again, in acts of righteousness, they also must take action against whatever institution they believe houses the sin. They must attempt to tear down these houses and burn them down. And I'm not agreeing with their understanding or their efforts. It's a fruitless religion after all. But only notice that there is a striving here to right themselves by projecting on our nation, on something external from themselves, their own unique construction of righteousness happens in every religion. And they do all this with an eschatological viewpoint, and that's the last one. They do all this with an eschatological viewpoint. That is, they do it all with some vision of the future. They do this as they employ words like a day of reckoning for America. What does that sound like? That sounds like judgment day, doesn't it? They don't have their original sin, and they don't have their ways of righteousness, but they also have their coming and pending day of the Lord, you might say. They have ideas of a utopian society that they'll construct and set up in different places and somehow it'll grow and expand and permeate the nation and so they have their places of summer of love, right? They have their CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or their CHOP, the Capitol Hill Organized Protest. In D.C. they've got BAZ, which means Black House Autonomous Zone. They didn't, they didn't call it Black House Organized Protest because BOP just didn't sound, you know, but you know, they've got their places and it's all kind of a vision of some great thing and some exultant thing and some heaven that they're going to bring down upon earth and around all of these things you see a lot of self-love mixed in with self-loathing turned outward into anger and hatred and superiority and it's an emotional mix that is always or often found in the heart of every false religion. It's religion. It's idolatry. And you need to see it. And you need to identify it. 
By the way, the problem when you see religions like this rise up is someone will develop a counter-religion. Someone will develop a counter-protest to the protest. They will reestablish themselves in some other place so that they might stand aloof from these individuals and they might raise their heads to heaven and say, God, I thank you, I'm not like these protesters. So the warning has to be to identify the religion, the false religion, but not enter into it yourself in any way, not even in a counter, a counter orbit from it. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. I want to express to you the irony of the situation. These protesters are revealing to the church the core component or components of a message that the church has neglected for decades. These protesters are revealing to the church the core components of a message that the church has neglected for decades. Our neglect has not been to fail to lead in championing social reform or social justice. It has not been a failure to identify and address forces of racism. It has not been a failure to call for healthier environmental activity or more equitable economic systems. It's been a failure to present to lost people a message of the good news of Jesus Christ that will satisfactorily answer the spirit-driven awareness that is in all people of their sin, of their lack of righteousness, and the reality of oncoming judgment. That's where we failed. In the last, well, during the time in which I have basically been in ministry, so how long is that now? Last three decades, the church has been grooming a presentation or public image in order to attract people to ourselves and to Christ. We've offered people a salvation with promises of significance and meaning and purpose and community and a healthy self-esteem and a place of belonging and a deliverance from self-defeating constructs to attitudes of acceptance and personal affirmation. But it's a salvation that has not struck at the core of people's spirit-authored, subconscious need to have their sin identified and their guilt removed and their lives turned away into a way that is realizing an unrealized righteousness that they long for and they know that they were made for and a need to escape as a result the oncoming judgment that they're facing because of these things. This generation of protesters is twisting this consciousness and selectively pointing outward at our nation and our history and our past and our present and they're saying, there is sin among us. And they're saying, we're going to protest it by doing the righteous thing. And there must be a reckoning and a judgment that takes place. And reparations have to be given. And we can create a new and better society. And we can bring down hell on those who won't come to believe these things. And we'll bring heaven along those who will go with us. And it's all wrong. It's all wicked. It's not possible. It's not possible because they're the sinners. They are the unrighteous. They are the ones who are coming before a judge. They are the ones who will be judged one day. But they're more right in many ways than we have been in the church. Because they know what needs to frame the conversation. And they know what needs to be at the heart of religion. Even true religion. At its heart, there needs to be an address of sin, an answer for the lack of righteousness, and a way to encounter and deal with the judgment that lies before all men. They know it. Instinctively, they know it. They're telling us. And while the church has avoided these very topics, trying to make our message as palatable and easy to swallow and as attractive as possible, 
We've ignored the undercurrent that's been roiling and boiling in the lives of individuals for three decades. And surprise, it explodes in a moment like this. And it's not a failure of America. It's a failure of America's church that these things are happening. And the answer is not for the church to go down and bow down at their altars. It's not to go where they've constructed their altars and say, please, let's find a way to placate you here as well. Let's posture so that you can see that we're the true anti-racist. That's not it. It's to ask God to forgive us for neglecting the very message that they're crying out to hear and speaking to them. Even if their religion is false, and it is, there must be a confronting of sin and a confessing of it. There must be a righteousness found that would bring us to the truth. There is a heaven and a hell. Only men do not make it. God does. And he determines in judgment who will go to either. That's the irony in all this. These may be hard words to bear, but before you fully judge the protesters or fully judge those who refuse to protest with you, make sure you know what your religion is based on. Is it based on the shed blood of Jesus which gives you freely an answer for your sins, your need for righteousness, and your promise of heaven? Start there and you'll be motivated in everything to bring to others this good news. This has been the Bread of Life. For a copy of this message, follow the links provided at our website, breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.